Yeah, we want to pray that you would give us a, um, a mindfulness of not only something you would do in us, but, but recognize that what you would do in us would be also for the sake of the world and those you have a, a, us around. And so uh, help us see that more clearly today, uh, that we might be faithful to what we are going to hear you calling us to. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to join in the uh, celebration. Happy Mother's Day to uh, all our moms. If you didn't get a chance coming in on the patio, there's a, a photo booth for you guys. You guys can get some family photos afterwards. And so we hope you'll have some fun with that and enjoy that. Uh, it's interesting when you grow up uh, in a church. I, I came here when I was 14. Uh, Mother's Day is interesting because on the one hand, I got my mom. I have my wife. I have uh, all that kind of stuff. But you kind of ha- I've kind of grown up with moms. Like I have church moms as well. And so when I say Happy Mother's Day, I really am saying Happy Mother's Day to all my church moms as well. Like thank you for helping to, to raise me. Uh, and I appreciate all the, the fandom. Uh, uh, but th- it's very clearly my number one fan is my mom. In fact, my wife has resigned herself to the best she can do is win the silver medal. She's just like, like, I'll never pass your mom. Like, you're great and all, but you look, your mom's a little nuts when it comes to this. And, and, uh, and so I, I, I'm glad my mom doesn't have Facebook um, because it, it, there'd be things about me that you would know that I wouldn't want you to ever know. And I, I'm thankful for that. When I was in high school, well, when I was, when I was growing up playing baseball, my mom was, was someone who would, uh, she was the mom, I don't know if any of you moms do this, but she was the mom who brought the cowbell to the games. And so she would ring this cowbell to let everyone know all the moments that I was, you know, doing something great. Uh, when I got to high school, of course, that was not good. See, like all the identity formation stuff you're dealing with, the last thing you want is attention drawn to you. My mom's ringing. Now, thankfully, I wasn't that great of a player, so the bell didn't get rung that much. But then my mom had to get creative. So if I struck out, it's like, you know, great swing, great swing, Billy. Uh, if I grounded out to the pitcher, like, way to run hard, Billy, way to run hard. He's as fast as anyone. Look at him go down that line. Okay. But... But I do remember very, very clearly, I remember uh, uh, I hit one home run. And when I was coming around third base, I can still see in my mind's eye, I can still see my mom standing on top of the bleachers, ringing that cowbell, ringing it for everyone. And it's just always been this symbol of my mom always thought I would do great things. My mom always expected me to do great things. And I know she's not alone. I know she thought that about my sister. I know she thought that about my brother. Uh, I know you moms do it because I I see it. I hear it. I see it on the back of your minivans, uh, how great your kids are and how, how, what great things they're going to do. Like you, you think this, right? You expect your kids to change the world. And it's not a pressure. I don't think at all. I don't think, I don't think we're trying, I don't think any of these parents, I don't think any of us as parents are trying to put a pressure on our kids. We just believe that our kids are destined for great things. They're going to do great things. They're going to make a difference in the world. And and I don't know if you know this, but I think this is really rooted in the heart of God for his people. I think God has, from the very beginning, always believed that his children, his people, would make a difference in the world. It's very clear that that was the expectation uh, when he chose Israel, when he, when he set them apart, that they were going to be different than everyone else. And, and as a result of being different, that they were actually going to, to do something great. They were going to do something wonderful. They were going to bring the, 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 the beautiful change 
the redemption to the world that God was, was uh, working on from the very beginning of the fall, that God was restoring the world, that he had had this, this, this people that were going to do it. They were going to live differently, and as a result, people would see that they were different and be drawn to it. They were going to shine brightly in a way that people would, uh, uh, the, the nations around would say, what is it about you? Why are you so blessed? Who is your king? that we might know him as well. And they would point and they would say, well, our king is, it's the Lord. The Lord is our king. And that the nations would be drawn. And so that from the very beginning, God's people, uh, God has had this expectation, almost like a loving parent that I, I know. I mean, I don't know what the back of God's minivan looks like. I'm sure all our stickers are on the back as well. Uh, my friend used to joke about, you know, uh, imagine what it would be like to, if God had a wallet. Uh, like in, in like the, all the photos, you know, that little thing that comes flying out. Like there's just something, there's this expectation. And, and we've been talking about uh, we, this idea we saw uh, that when Jesus uh, uh, was raised from the dead, he, he very clearly said to his followers, he sent them into the world to make a difference, to change the world. They've been sent into the world. And so last week we began to see that there's a sacrifice that's involved in doing this, but in that sacrifice there's this, this great gain that comes. We, we give up ourselves, but what we do is we find that we, we actually find ourselves and that the world is blessed as well and that God is honored in this very thing. And so the, and the, and this idea that we would be this expectation that we would be world changers is built in the message of Jesus from the very beginning. And so we see, we hear him call to us, you're gonna, I'm sending you into the world. But if we track back, actually go, if we kind of uh, uh, break down his message, go all the way back to the very beginning of his ministry, we see that this was his message from the very beginning. And in fact, I, I want to give you a big idea and then I'll show you a passage that I think as you see is we'll kind of kind of weave in and out of this passage. You'll see this big idea that this keeps coming up again and again and again in this passage and that we ultimately we see this is a part of uh, the expectation of Jesus' ministry and certainly the part of him sending us as well. So here's our big idea this morning. It's this, that the followers of Jesus are expected to impact the world. That they're expected to impact the world. That, the, that Jesus actually had an expectation from the very beginning. If you belong to me, if you follow me, we're going to change the world together. That that was his expectation. It was, there was never an idea that, that you would kind of maybe be a part of that or maybe uh, you could decide to opt into that, that you know, choice, that option. But the, the very essence of what it means to follow him is to join him and change the world. There's an expectation he has that we will, by our very lives, have impact on the world around us. And so I, I want you to see that uh, in Jesus, uh, the very, the, the, maybe the biggest sermon, perhaps one of the uh, most, uh, one of the first sermons that he ever preached, we call the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most important sermons where we see what this life of following Jesus is, uh, looks like, what it means to be different uh, as his followers, that we see that this idea is communicated in it. And so I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at just a couple of verses, verses 13 to 16. There's Bibles in front of you. Uh, page 969. Uh, but, but I want you to see this. So what, what had happened at this point early in Jesus' ministry that the crowds were gathering around. And in this moment, Jesus pulls aside those that have, are starting to follow him and they kind of separate from the crowd and he wants to help them understand, look, following me, it's different. 
And, and, what, and, and in some ways, what you're going to see is every expectation that God had placed on his people and the people of Israel, they hadn't really lived up to it up to this point. And so Jesus starts to shift the narrative from Israel to do this, that his followers are going to be the one, that they are going to be the ones by their very nature of, of, of uh, who they are, they will be different and people will see it. By the, the way they live, they will shine brightly and point people to the glory of God. And so we're going to see in these, these uh, verses that this is the expectation uh, that Jesus has uh, for, the, for his followers. So let's read it together and we'll, we'll uh, uh, see these two very interesting pictures. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so let's stop there. And what I want you to see again is we see two very important metaphors that he kind of sets apart, uh, two powerful pictures that they would have understood. It was part of their kind of day to day life. And again, it kind of goes into their history. They understood that these two ideas were built into what it meant to be Israel. Uh, but now what we're seeing is as Israel had, had failed in this in, in many ways, now Jesus is calling his disciples to, to this very life. Uh, but one of the things I want you to see is that there, it's very, very clear that he is counting on us, that he is, is expecting this of us. And you see this by the phrase, you are. Okay? He doesn't say you might be or you could be. He says you are. He's saying your, your essence in following me. And so he started this, we see this kind of development in the verses leading up where it says that he pulls his disciples. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower, and then he leads this whole thing uh, about the blessed life. Blessed are those who, and if he, he, so he's kind of had this, this progression. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to live this life that I'm calling you to, then I want you to understand something. You are this. And so it's a very strong expectation that this is who we would be. So what are we to be? First, we see this. Jesus wants us to be the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. Now, this is a, a powerful image in the first century because salt was so valuable in that time. Uh, and so we see this first idea that they are to be salt. Salt uh, in, the, in uh, the ancient world was a preservative. It was something that uh, you can imagine. There's no refrigeration. And so the way you keep uh, meat or fish or anything like that from decay is you would rub salt on it. And salt kept things from decay. It kept things from, from uh, uh, being destroyed. And so that image, if you ever hear someone, you ever heard someone say that, ah, oh, that guy, salt of the earth kind of guy, like, right? There's something different about that person. They just kind of add, uh, there's something wholesome about them. They kind of keep, the, keep things together. And, and this, was, this is the idea of this Jesus' words, you are the salt. And, and so this idea, uh, salt was so important in the early world that economies would be built on it, wars would be fought over it. I mean, you needed this. It was, it was so different in that time. And Jesus is saying, you are, when you live as a follower of mine, you, you're different. You do something. You keep the decay of this world. You, you keep it from that. You, you preserve it. 
Uh, but salt is also interesting in that I, I think all as we come to appreciate, salt adds flavor. Salt adds something, a distinctiveness. Uh, my buddy, I, I love going over to his house. He barbecues these steaks, and I'm always like, these steaks are incredible. Like, what are you doing to them? He's like, he just kind of laughs. He's like, it's just salt. But he knows how to salt it just right, just to that perfect spot where you're just like, oh, man, melt in your mouth. I, I, I kid you not. As Brian was given kind of his powerful little moment there, um, I get a text. Of course, I have, so I have this watch where the text comes on my, on my watch, and I look down at it, and it's a picture of two tri-tips that my brother-in-law has made for today. And it just, it's hashtag blessed. And I'm just like, oh man. I, and I can already feel like my, like Pavlov's dog. I'm already salivating because he, he, he smokes these things all morning and he seasons them just right. And it's just the most, I love holidays because of the, these moments. He, he, it's this glorious taste explosion that's going to uh, happen uh, in a few hours. And so there, we know that. We know that there's something, there's a flavor. But did you notice this, that, that part of this idea is that there's a distinctiveness to us. That's the idea. That if you think about what salt would do, it would preserve, it would add flavor. But you have to remain true to who you are. And so salt, it's interesting. Salt doesn't lose its saltiness. It's a compound. And so all you science people, don't, don't freak out. Jesus understands that. But the way that they would have understood it is this, is that when salt got mixed in with a bunch of other things... It lost its, its power to have the influence and impact that it was meant to have. You lost that sense of flavor. You lost that sense of, of preservative. And so when it gets mixed in with everything else, it loses its saltiness. And it's a very clear idea for us that when we somehow get mixed into everything else going on in the world and we lose that distinctiveness, uh, then our ability to preserve, our ability to add this unique flavor is lost. Uh, one of the best ways to illustrate this came, uh, it was interesting, it came this week, I was sitting there talking to a friend of mine, Evan, and Evan uh, just became a pastor of a church in La Habra. And uh, he's only been doing it for a few months, but when Evan got there, the church was pretty much close to death. It was about 40 people left in the, in the entire church. It had been hundreds before. It was down to 40 people. And Evan got a real clear sense of why it was down to 40 people. It was interesting, actually, there's a school that meets on the church campus and the church basically told Evan this. They said, we're, we're rooting on you dying. We're counting on it because we want to take over this property. And they were just really upfront. They knew that there's nothing they could do. They have this contract. And they said, we're, we're rooting on you to die. We count, we're counting on it. So I was like, this is, what an interesting place to be, okay? I've got a dying church. I've got a school that is just counting on us to die. And he said, I, I understood how this church, in essence, had lost its saltiness uh, because we were talking about uh, the festivals that take place in La Habra. La Habra does like a tamale festival and these different like little festivals where um, streets close down and everyone in the city kind of comes and hangs out and they do all these things. And the, the people in the church were describing, some of the leaders in the church were describing, oh yeah, when the tamale festival comes, this is a chance for us to make some money. We, we, we sell parking spots in, in our parking lot. And if anyone comes and doesn't pay, we chase them off the grounds. And he's like... Okay, I figured it out. Here's, here's, here's our problem. Folks, this is not what it means to be the salt of the earth. And so he explained to them very clearly, okay, here's what's going to happen. Uh, during the Tamale Festival, anyone in the city who wants to park on our, on our property, they park for free. And 
we are going to figure out some way to add value to the festival. And so Evan, being a young dad, realized that when he and his wife and their young kids would go to places, that they would need, they would need places to stop. They would need places where uh, his wife could breastfeed. They could need places to change diapers. They wanted clean places. They wanted safe places. And so they decided, we're going to create a diaper changing station where moms can come or parents can come. They can change diapers. It's clean. It's safe. They can breastfeed in, in privacy. They can do all these different things. We're going to create this station, and we're going to offer it as a, as a blessing to the city during the festival. It went over so big that the city came to them and said, is there any way your church can do that again? Can you do that the next, during the next festival? Can you be there again? Uh, Here's a church that got down to about 40 people. On their Easter services, there was 264 people at their service. Now, in part, what happened is, what Evan's trying to do is change the idea, guys, we have lost, we've lost the saltiness of us. We have stopped being unique and distinct. We've stopped wanting to, to, to add something to, to the city. And, and, and there's this beautiful way to see it. In fact, think about this. The, so Jesus pulled his disciples away. He's explaining all these things. And one of, the, one of the, 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 the disciples sitting there is this man, Peter. Years later, Peter would be a leader, and he would write a letter to one of the churches, and he would really almost take this part of the sermon and kind of re-preach it to uh, his congregation. And he says these words. He says, uh, 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 Live such good life. First Peter chapter 2 says this. Live such good lives among the pagans, those who are, are, are far from God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, that word, live such good lives, could be translated, live such beautiful lives. That people far from God, even people far from God, be able to see how you live. And they even could, would have to say, I have to just honor, like give some sense of praise and honor and worship to God. There's something in it that would be undeniable. We're called to live differently. I appreciate you guys so much. You know, on Easter, we invited you to care for our teachers in the community. And uh, we couldn't do all the schools, but we chose four schools that a lot of our families are at. We chose to, to try to bless 157 teachers, I think it was. And so this last week, we delivered uh, these bags that you helped put together. And they're just simple school supplies, a, a, a note, a gift card, just really simple things. But all week long, we were flooded with emails, with notes of encouragement, thank yous, uh, people all over just saying, wow. This is, thank you. Like, this is so unexpected. Why would you do this? This is, we're so encouraged by this. It means a lot that you would actually think about this. Uh, there were 55 from our Huntington Beach campus. Uh, they, we've adopted a, a, a elementary school in Huntington Beach called Circle View. A lot of our kids uh, are, are over there. Uh, and so one of the neat things that happened, there was 55 of our people that went over to work on the campus as part of uh, this bigger movement of, of churches in Huntington Beach, what we call Restore HB, just to say, where does the school need some, you know, just the, the campus might need to be revitalized in some way. And they said, we've got, we've got resources, we've got uh, people, we're ready, whatever you need help with, we want to help. And so they did all this, this work. And there was this sense of, there's something different about you guys. 
Like, who, why would you do this? Why would you give up your Saturday? Why would you give up your time? Why would you give up your money? Why would you do these things? But notice what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm counting on you. I'm expecting you to be different. I'm expecting people that even though they're far from me, they can't help but see that you live such beautiful lives in their midst, that they're drawn somehow, some unique way to me. And so we see that we are called to be different. We cannot be one way on Sunday. We get ourselves all cleaned up. We show up here for one hour, and then we go back into the world on Monday. We cheat like everyone else. We take shortcuts like everyone else. We, we are annoying and, and abusive on social media like everyone else and somehow think that we can have this different life. Notice what Jesus is saying. I, that's not my expectation for you. My expectation is wherever you are, you would be different. You would live differently because the world needs it. They need you to be salt, preserve. They need you to be salt, that you would add this unique flavor that people would say, what is it about you? I have to know. Craig Keener is a, a, a theologian, a scholar, and he talks about his life up to his conversion but listen to what he says before he came to know Christ, and, and, and it really connects to this idea in First Peter, uh, and it helps us understand when we don't live differently how people see us as well. He writes, until my conversion in 1975, I professed to be an atheist, in part because I looked at roughly the 85% of my fellow U.S. citizens who claimed to be Christians— and could not see that their faith genuinely affected their lives. I reasoned that if even Christians did not believe in Jesus' teachings, why should I? Jesus is calling his followers. My expectation is that you would be different. You would live differently. He has these high expectations, not in a pressure way. He just knows, I know you can do this. I'm counting on you to do this. But notice it's more than lifestyle. Jesus also wants us to proclaim something. And so here's the second thing I want you to see is that Jesus wants us to shine brightly in the world. To shine brightly in the world. And you see this image that he gives of us being a light in the world. Uh, this, this town built on a hill that can't be hidden. Jerusalem was, is up on a hill. And it's just, they knew, they knew from miles away they could see. See, in, in the ancient world, when it got dark, it got dark. There's no street lights, there's no iPads in, you know, in the home. Or, you know, it, it, when it's dark, it is, everything shuts down. And so a city like Jerusalem, up on a hill, at, when the lamps would all go on, it, I mean, you could see it miles away. And notice what Jesus is saying. There's something about the, again, the essence of light is meant to shine brightly. It is meant to, to, to reveal and to, to, to lead away, to, to protect us from darkness and lead us out of darkness and everything that happens. So uh, in the ancient world, you see this idea of a lamp. He says, there's a, you know, you're like a lamp. You know what takes a lamp? And they would take a lamp. It was, it, it's small. Uh, it, it was like a little clay pot. It had oil in it and then a little wick on the end. You light the wick. But that tiny little lamp, it could do only so much. But because most uh, first century families kind of lived in a small home, not very much bigger than this stage, they would take that lamp, they put it on a stand up higher in the home, and it would, it would it help illuminate the home. 
And if everyone is kind of living in this one-bedroom home, you can imagine when it gets dark, you, you, you're, you're stumbling over each other. And so that light, it was so necessary to reveal where things were and how to navigate through things. And so Jesus says, look, you are that light. Without you, people are going to be in darkness. People are going to stumble around. They, are going to, they aren't going to find their way. And again, this goes back to the image that he had of, that God always has had for his people. You will be a light. You know, we pray a blessing on you each week as you leave to go into the world. You've been blessed being here. The Lord has spoken. You you have worshiped. You have sensed his presence. You know you're not in this alone. And then we pray a blessing. Now go into the world and be a blessing. And this begins in the very beginning of God's call to his people when he called uh, Abraham in in Genesis 12. He said, look, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to all the nations. And so the people of God were always meant to be this way. They were to reveal to the nations through their life uh, that people would see this. And we see this, in in fact, if you look just a few verses before uh, where we are in chapter 4, verse 14, you see this idea of them that Jesus has been hinting at. What he knows is, as we are sent into the world, that we will reveal the goodness and the glory of God. Notice in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, just a few verses before this, that he says these very words. He says, nevertheless, there will be no no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. He's speaking of the Gentiles or those that are outside the Jewish faith. Think, listen to what he's saying. He says, by the way of the sea, these people that are far off. He says, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending my people and they will be a light in, in the darkness, they will reveal the very way that people can find their way back to God. And so there's an expectation that's there. Jesus was sending his church into the world to shine brightly. Now, it, what's interesting is this. This is what happens. That when you and I live as salt, uh, something's going to happen. In fact, even Peter uh, understood this, that, that when we live these beautiful lives, when we live this life as salt of the earth, that people, people are going to ask, why? Why do you do this? In fact, listen to what Peter says. Remember, he says, live such beautiful lives around the, the, the ungodly that they'll, they'll be drawn to God. But then in 1 Peter, then the next chapter, he says these words. Now, I'll put it up on the screen. He says, in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Then notice what he says. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, what Peter knows is this, is that you and I, when we live as salt, there's something that people are going to say, there's something different about you. Why are you like this? What, What makes you like this? And when we live in this way, Uh, Peter says, you need to be ready because people are going to ask you, give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, Let me take you back to my friend Evan. Uh, Evan said, he said, you know, what was interesting was what I I probably should have realized, but I didn't, was I didn't realize we we wanted to set up this diaper station, this mom station, this family station. Uh, 
and we knew it was a, a good act of kindness. We knew it was a way of just trying to reintroduce ourselves to the city and, and, and being different. What I didn't realize was how many conversations I was going to have as a result of it. So he, he said, I didn't think of this. But basically, when a family showed up, you know, mom or dad or whoever would go in to change the diaper or to feed or whatever. But guess what the other person had to do? They had to stand outside talking to me. <laughs> so he said, I had hundreds of conversations. And he said, I just kind of stood by. I was kind and nice. But he said, over and over again, people just ask, what, who are you guys and why are you doing this? And he was able to, to be able to share the hope uh, of why he believes and the hope of why they would do something like this. He said, man, I had hundreds of conversations as a result of this. And so it's no, no uh, uh, surprise, maybe, in some ways that we see such a, a great outpouring of what God was able to do. Uh, because it's, think about this, guys. Our, 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 our movement is not just a movement of kindness. It is. But, but it's a movement of kindness that has been shown to us. So we're not just random people who think, hey, bring smiles to the world. Act kind. Do, you know, we, we want all those things. But, but the, the reason why we do this is because kindness has been shown to us in the most, most amazing way. God has shown his kindness by sending his son. I, 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 I thought, think about this story I heard uh, back in the 80s. There was a, 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 a flight that had crashed on this highway. Every single passenger died in that flight except for one, a little girl named Cecilia. And it was very interesting. Rescuers thought she must have been in one of the cars driving by on the highway. There's no way that she was on that plane. And then they went back, they checked the the register, and they realized that, no, she actually was on the flight. And when they came to investigate how in the world could this little girl survive when everyone else perished in this, what they came to discover was this, that when they knew the plane was going down, uh, Cecilia's mother took off her seatbelt. She got down on her knees and she covered over her, her kid like a, like, a, uh, like a shell that just protect over the top of her. And nothing, not the fall, not the crash, not the fire, there wasn't anything that was going to separate this mother from the love that she had for her child. She was, she was taking all Everything that crash took on, she was taking upon herself to save her child. And when you and I hear that story, we go, that's our story. That's our story. This world crashing around us. And God sends his son into the world and he covers over us through his sacrifice. And we receive from him what we could never create for ourselves. And so we are people who have, been, who have experienced the most extreme kindness, the kindness of God. And so when we go as the salt of the earth, we also realize we are called to be light, and we know that there will be a way for us to share the hope that we have. And we know that to be light in the Bible, light always refers in some ways to revelation, that there are going to be opportunities for us to share the hope we have. Now, one thing I want to encourage you with uh, is this. A lot of people feel like, yeah, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to put it in words. I, people say, what? Why do you do this? Uh, I, I go to church. That's why I come to church with me. My pastor will tell you why we do this, okay? 
So here's, here's what I'm offering to you. On Tuesday, June 5th, we're going to do a training here. We're going to help you learn how to actually share these things in simple ways. In simple ways that you would be comfortable saying, oh, that's it. That's it. That's totally what I've experienced. That's totally what I'd want to say to my friend. And so I want to encourage you to come out. We'll have more details coming out um, in the weeks to come. But Tuesday night, June 5th, here, we're going to do a training for you. So I want to give you, I want to end with this idea. Uh, We've been talking about being sent. You're called, the expectation Jesus has is that you would impact the world by being salt, by being light. So here's what I want you to see. If the expectation is that you would be salt and that you would be light, that, that means that you have to think about where he has put you of being different there. So here's my challenge. Make an impact where Jesus has led you. Make an impact where Jesus has led you. What I don't want you to think is that to make an impact, you have to quit your job and become a pastor or, a, or, or a work in the church or something like that. In fact, you will make less difference doing that. My job is to, is to equip you to make a difference. That's what pastors do. That's our job. But, but you, you have been, you are uniquely placed as teachers and business people and administrators and, and students. And I mean, think, God has uniquely placed you in places to be salt, to be light. And so think about impacting where God has placed you. I, I want to encourage you to think about it this way. Uh, there was a guy who was praying with his kids. Maybe you've experienced this if you ever prayed with your kids. And he, he opened his eyes during the prayer and he noticed that his little boy had his eyes open as well. And so after the prayer was over, he, he asked him, he said, asked his son, why do you have, why did you have your eyes open during the prayer? And the son's response was simply this. He said, I don't want to miss what God was going to do. I didn't want to miss what God was going to do. And, and, and I love that, that like little simple childlike faith. It's like, yes, that's it. Okay, so let's, you and I, let's start praying with our eyes open in the places God has put us so that we don't miss what God is doing. Let's figure out what God is up to and let's join him in it. Let, let's pray and listen to the Spirit and let's be faithful to join where the Spirit is leading. The one thing I want you to see in this passage, there's an expectation of faithfulness that we will be these things. He's counting on us. He expects it. He knows we can do it. But he's, he's challenged us, don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your light. He's saying, I, 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 I really believe this. Now, one of the ways of understanding where you are is you've got a little card like this, an 8 to 15 card. And this is a simple way we use, an expression we use here, we call it the 8 to 15. It's just your little relational world. Every season of your life, you should pay attention that somewhere, some way, God has, pro- has uniquely, we think, strategically, supernaturally, God has uniquely put people in your life. You just need to open your eyes while you pray and figure out who they are. And sometimes it's really obvious it's your kids. You should be invested in them. It's your family. But then you realize, wow, I am uniquely placed around coworkers to be salt and light. I am uniquely placed around students to be salt and light. I am uniquely placed around teammates. I am uniquely placed, and you just name it, I am uniquely placed to be salt and light. And ask God to help you see that. Join him in what he's doing. And so let's pray. Let me invite you to just bow. And just start that prayer.
He is with us. He's all around us. He's leading us. But just ask him, Lord, who do you have in my life? Maybe even start thinking, who would be, who is on my 8 to 15? Who is on this list? Who do you have me? How do I join you in what you're already doing? Take a moment to think and to pray through that, and then we'll sing together.